Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You are listening to an Irreverent Podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends. Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness. And we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. And this is Reverend Anna Galladay. And we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for all of us to get our hands dirty. Pastor. Dr. Robin. The Groundhog Day is back again. I mean, and and it really was just Groundhog Day. So um, I saw many uh, scenes from the movie the last week, and I kept thinking, "Oh my gosh, this is exactly how we start our episode." And it's like it's like us back again, yeah, yeah. back again. Well, I'm glad to be here with you. Yes. Um, it has been an eventful uh, few weeks for us. It has. We we did take off last week. We had some stuff come up and some illness and busy weeks. And, yep. you know, life is what it is. And we are not going to beat ourselves up over that. Um, I have just finished replacing the battery in my truck. Yes. Which is annoying to say the least. Um, because my lease is up in four days and I could turn it in in four days and I had to buy a new battery in order to get it to the dealership to turn it in. Now I'm not turning it in, but I still was annoyed by that and I was stranded and I had to walk home last night. Right. Yeah. So then there's that. I mean, thankfully I live, you know, in an urban area and the walk was probably good for me. And even though I complained about it, it was fine. Yeah. that's my excitement for yeah. the week. Um, what's up with you? Well, I um, seems like we both uh, had car drama. <laughs> I, I had a I had a flat tire. I noticed Saturday night, and so I had it towed on Sunday to Discount Tire to get the tire replaced, but. It, uh, the screw just punctured the tread, so they were able to plug it, and it's fine. And I texted my financial advisor and told her thank you for recommending AAA. And it was quick and easy and no issue. And It's a lifesaver. Like it AAA, really is. My battery first died here at the house, and I had to call AAA to come and jump my battery for me so that I could get to this meeting I had to go to. And I mean, I took the chance that, I mean, I drove the truck around for like 10 or 15 minutes before I got to the meeting so that the battery would have time to like, you know, get some juice back in it. Um, And I knew I was taking a chance, like driving it and turning it off and 
hoping that it started back up again. And um, Ruthie has decided she's going to join us from upstairs. Sorry, friends. Enjoy the sound of my puppy. Um, and uh, I, you know, went to my meeting and got back in my truck and it was dead again. So yeah, I didn't want to call AAA again several hours after I had called them right. the first time. And I was close enough to walk. And so I just enjoyed a nighttime walk home. Um, but yes, AAA is... It's a lifesaver. It but- is a, it's a luxury that I am really glad I have the capacity to to take advantage of. The, the only issue is like when I was – so back in May when I was on sabbatical in California and we had that burglary, that is when someone recommended getting AAA. And so I just kind of put it out on social media, like what do folks think about AAA? And a lot of folks, a lot of folks really liked it. A lot of folks said, well, they are pro-automobile industry, which – I think they mean is led by Republicans. Yeah, uh, maybe that's what they meant. I don't know. I mean, I uh, I know that they um, are in partnership with a lot of manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I also believe that the way that we have collective bargaining set up with many automotive manufacturers and you know the affordable the uh, the the ways that unions are increasingly and and have been for for many generations participatory in the process of right. manufacturing automobiles is a benefit yeah. to those that that work for those companies so it's a both and for me yeah and you know we are all deeply compromised and you know, I still have to buy from Amazon, for example, because there's some things that I can't get elsewhere. Right. Uh, so, you know, like I made this decision of, okay, a- am I supporting something that could harm me? Maybe. And we all do that all the time. And what is the safest thing for me to do as a trans Latinx if my car were to break down? Right. And and there is as there is still a chance that you could have a scary or threatening experience with AAA. Right. But you are more likely to um, to not and, and right. to know that there is someone on their way to help you should you get into a situation with your automobile if you have that service available to you. Right. I mean, at that point, it's kind of like, what's the best of the worst options. Well, it's like voting uh, in the presidential election. Exactly. Choosing the better of two evils, right? Exactly. So so we went with AAA and I feel very grateful to have that service. It took them about 25 minutes to respond. I did it all on the app on my phone. And the guy whose name is Jared called and just wanted to verify everything and he came, he inspected my tire. He said, Oh yeah, you have a screw. And I mean, like, I felt like he went the extra mile. He treated, I mean, Aaron and I both were there because Aaron had to, we followed him to drop the car off and, and he treated us both with respect, no discrimination. And it was like 150% customer service. And I did ask him, I said, is there someone that I can call to thank 
AAA for you coming out. He said, well, you'll be getting a survey. Just fill out the survey. It's eight questions and there's a place to leave comments. And so I did leave comments that uh, there, there was extreme kindness and respect and no discrimination. And, you know, if it's a conservative company that doesn't accept people like me, I didn't, I didn't experience that. Now, we all know that this is, it's kind of like the police, right? There are, it's not just bad apples, like the whole system is corrupt. So AAA may be a corrupt system, but we are all deeply compromised and it's learning to play the chess game and navigate these systems. And um, so I had car drama, but my, my car is fixed now. Yeah, mine fixed too. I'm, uh, we're lucky. We're lucky yeah. that we have the capacity to yep. even have vehicles and that yep. we are, um, I mean, we both, neither of us live in a place where public transit is right. uh, an ideal source of transportation for us. Right. And so, right. Um, so we are going to enter into some space today that is, um, a little more personal than I think yeah. we normally get on our episodes. Uh, and I am going to let you kind of introduce this story because you have, you have talked with our listeners about this over the last two weeks and have, have mentioned the, kind of preamble to the the story and situation we're going to talk about. Um, but why don't you kind of start at the beginning and catch our listeners up so that we can kind of have it all in kind of one kind of tied up yep. piece of piece of content. Yeah. And in, in early January, my mother, who many of you know is a Mexican woman, um, was going to be forced out of her living situation. And she was living with her sister and my uncle by marriage, so my aunt and uncle, and my mom was the caregiver for my abuela, who passed away in 2016, the caregiver for my aunt, and the caregiver for my uncle. And my aunt, who was very unwell, um, psychologically, emotionally, etc., um, told my mom she had to leave and my mom had nowhere to go. And, but she notified me that this was, she was going to have to make a decision. And, you know, I took to social media and asked for mutual aid help because she's on a fixed income. And, you know, this is, I, I you know, I didn't know the full sort of, um, picture of what was happening, but I knew that she was economically disadvantaged and she didn't have the resources to move. She didn't have money to buy boxes. So we had a successful mutual aid campaign. People from literally all over the world gave Europe, Canada, Latin America, the US. And I was able to have enough mutual aid to send my mom a little bit at a time to, you know, pay for moving supplies and whatnot. And, and then it, it occurred to me um, that actually my mom and my uncle um, were victims of elder abuse. 
and in a very situation that was quickly devolving and deteriorating. And Aaron and I talked on one night and we were like, we have to go. And we were not originally going to go um, when we decided to go. And so we went and you drove close to eight hours and we had help on the ground there. And we also went by the police station to get um, a police standby because we weren't sure what we would find. I was very concerned about our safety. Uh, there were guns in the house and, and, you know, my aunt um, has been an addict and is an alcoholic and, you know, I just wasn't sure what would happen. And I, you know, we are family. And I was like, I don't want to put my family in danger. Right. Um, and the police are not my favorite, um, but it's like, again, playing the system and negotiating the system, it would be different if I had black skin. And the police were there for two and a half hours, and we all got my mom out, and my mom went on her way. And it occurred to me that when I launched Activist Theology Project, that I was launching it for people out there, right? That that we were going to connect the dots for people. And really, it occurred to me when we were in the throes of that situation that getting our hands dirty with one another and connecting the dots for each other, as we have been doing over the past three years on this podcast, in conversation, in relationship, is actually the heart of activist theology. And that us doing this together and deepening our togetherness and deepening our kinship and practicing a generative relationality is actually how we get free. And I wanted to talk about this today. I mean, there are tons of things happening in the world. We could talk about the Olympics. We could talk about so much. But until we really recognize that sound of the genuine, as Howard Thurman talks about, until we recognize that for ourselves, I think we'll continue to just be spinning our wheels for something out there beyond us. And it occurred to me that like, we are doing this for us just as much as we are doing it for people who listen. And both are important. Yes. I mean, thank you for sharing the story. I know the story is, um, it's not an easy story to tell because it's a story that, um, you know, kind of creates the anxiousness and the regeneration of trauma within us as we think about the circumstances that led up to the point where we you know, made a, a, a very split sec second, like overnight decision to go right. and, and remove her. Um, even the retelling of those stories is, you know, generates pain and generates mm -hmm. um, a, a kind of trauma that, that isn't always comfortable for us to right. relive. Right. I was thinking as I was driving to the location where we 
um, brought your mother back from that. I am, I am initial, I am a person who I, I, I find myself, or I, I try to find myself um, in places where I am aiding yeah. situations. I mean, that is a, that is a characteristic that I know about me. Um, I also am able to recognize more and more the older I get kind of where that manifests into a problematic, <laughs> um, helping yep. nature, uh, white savior-ish right. complexes of sorts and where it, uh, where it doesn't. Right. Um, but I was thinking as I was driving and I was listening to a really great book that was on, it, it was a, it was kind of this, uh, fiction, response to what happened between the time that uh, Donald Trump left office and Joe Biden took office and all of the characters are renamed and all of the situations are a little different, but I could really clearly identify who was the player in each yeah. of the positions. Like I knew, yeah. like I knew who the secretary of state was based after and I knew who the, you know, joint chiefs of staff was based after. Yeah characteristics and i was thinking about this the character the the roles that we fall into yeah the ways that we um are known and the kind of mutual aid that we all engaged in on that trip to to get your mother um i think both reinforced some of the characters that we play mm -hmm. in this work. But I think it also exposed pieces of mm. our characters in ways that I, I don't know that I expected. Yeah. Um, we are so often in this work, we, we so often sink into the comfortable we sink into the role in the work that we that feels the least um, challenging for us. So if we are good at organizing or if we are good at caregiving or if we are good at um, conflict resolution or wh whatever that is, those tend to be the roles that we sink into in the right. work. And situations like we experienced um, – involving the police, you know, asking members of a, of another congregation that we, that we have relationships with to come, yep. um, you know, engaging with a, a woman who is, you know, has, has suffered yeah. for the last, who, I mean, who knows how long, yeah. um, brings out a different side of many yeah. of us. Yeah. And, as much as you recognize that the work of activist theology is also for all of us. I mean, we, we experienced it in real time. We mm -hmm. were doing activist theology on the ground. I also experienced a different side of you mm. than I have seen in, yeah. um, you know, in, in normal everyday interaction. Right. 
And I think that that also is what activist theology does for us. That is what this relationality does for us because it deepens us in acknowledgement of one another. And it allows us as individuals to sink into roles that and and to and to experience the work on the ground in ways that we may not have done before right which then allows for others to have insight into us yeah and build deeper levels of community alongside us yeah the whole time we were driving down to to get my mom out Aaron was like, Anna's going to shine. This is like, Anna was built for this, you know, and, and it's true. You know, (laughs) you, 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 you know how to uh, command a space and get shit done. And I was so grateful to have you there. I mean, I remember hugging you and I just, I just felt so good for you to be there, you know, with me in this really clusterfuck of a situation. And, and I was just, you know, I remain grateful and, you know, I don't, I don't know how many people would drive, you know, eight hours to help someone and, and you continue to show up for this work in very tangible and real ways. And that, you know, I don't, I just don't know how many people can say that about their coworkers and their colleagues or their friends, you know? Well, I mean, thank you for saying that. I, I also like this, this is what, this is what we do, right? Yeah. This is, this is who we are. And I, I, um, it is really easy to talk the talk. Um, yeah. It's very hard for a lot of us to walk it. Yeah. Um, and so I'm curious about how you see or how your perspective around the work has shifted over the last mm. two weeks. Um, are there things that have kind of made their way into your body and into your heart and your head that you about activist theology that you didn't anticipate um what kind of what what is different for you now that you have had this reckoning of oh like we we are doing this work as much for ourselves as we are for for others yeah yeah i mean i think that in a in a lot of ways um even though I've been doing a lot of inner work and a lot of um, building capacity for embodied awareness and whatnot, that the past two weeks have been for me an opportunity to really get in touch with the very tangible disparity I mean, you know, the, the weather has also been pretty bad in Tennessee. And I I texted Lindsey Krinks, who we've had on the podcast, who is the co-founder of Open Table Nashville. And I just sort of asked, how, how are our friends on the streets doing? And she wrote back and said that a lot of tent cities have flooded and washed away because of how much rain. And I mentioned that because – from the time we all extracted my mother from the abusive situation, 
to now, I've just gotten in touch with how much disparity there is in the world. And do I want to be a charitable person or do I want to be a person in solidarity with the underside? And so, I don't know. It's it's the past two weeks, I feel like I've deepened my introspection and dug a little deeper into myself to try to unearth the things that need to be unearthed so that I can continue the work. And I mean, obviously this is a lifelong challenge and I'm grateful for the opportunity, but you know, I just, I think I've gotten in touch with just how, just how really terrible the disparity is and how much people are without and, and just coming to an awareness of the the person who gave birth to me has been without so much and, you know, thankful for mutual aid where they don't have to be without, but I, I've gotten in touch with that. Mm-hmm. And, and how, and how difficult those things are to often see. Right. How difficult it is to often see the ways that that disparity is manifesting itself because on the surface for many, many of us, um, either we portray our lives as being okay yeah. and survivable and manageable, or we are, um, you know, or, or we really are okay and, right. and managing you know, there is, there is something to be said for the show that we put on the, yeah. the way that we attempt to um, create this kind of masquerade, this kind of smoke screen around yeah. what we're actually up against. And, and yeah. you even stated that in that it took you several um, months to actually realize what was going on in, yeah. in the relationship and, and the tenuousness of it and the reason that we had to act so quickly. Um, I continue to be amazed at the way people show up. I, you know, texted, I mean, gender roles aside, you know, you and I and your partner, um, two humans who, you know, present, as femme, um, you who present as non-binary, um, we're going into a situation where we knew d- guns were potentially involved. We yeah. knew that physical violence was at least a possibility. Right. Um, yes, we got the police standby and, you know, kind of had reinforcements there, but it felt really important for me for us to have a few more folks there other than just the three of us and your, and your mother. Right. And literally the night before we came, I texted a friend, a pastor um, in this location and told him what was happening and said, we would like to have some additional human power there. Um, right. He 
I, I think wisely brought two other men with him. Right. And we were able to not only show up and, and be a, a force field of sorts for goodness in the midst of this, but we were also able to get the work done and, and get it done quickly so that we could get your mother out as right. fast as possible. Right. Um, I mean, you know, these humans, these humans don't know you. No. Don't know your mother. Don't know Aaron. Um, only one of the three of them knows me. Yeah. And, and yet they too showed up into a situation that, mm-hmm. um, I mean, they, we, we were very honest with them about what we thought we may be up against. Yeah. And, and they came. Yeah. That kind of solidarity, that kind of unquestioning, I mean, cautious, but unquestioning solidarity with humans that need assistance Mm -hmm. is the kind of work that we're called to do. Yeah. And they weren't there. They weren't there in a charity based model. As you mentioned, they weren't there because it was, you know, a a good thing for their church to get involved in. (laughs) They weren't there because there was some kind of checklist that they had on their, on their side. They were there because, you know, one of them heard the cry in my voice and said, yes, like, let's, let's figure out how to make this happen. And they didn't have to do that. They didn't have to put themselves in harm's way. And I think that it speaks to this, it speaks to an unbridled acknowledgement that we are literally in this together. Mm-hmm. That the way that we are knitted one to the next, the the that they lived in close proximity to this harm that was happening and that they responded to an ask. Um, that that you had other folks who were very willing to come at other points in time had you decided to go a few days later mm-hmm. to to get your mother out that that those people had people on the ground in the location right. to assist that that in a matter of days we had coalesced a team of humans who had absolutely nothing invested right. in this work other than the fact that we recognize that we are in this together mm-hmm. and that it, it, it just simply is incumbent on us to, to get our hands dirty, to dig yeah. deeply into the work, to, to say yes to things that feel hard. Yeah. Um, it, it was astounding to me. It, it, yeah. it, it, it poured as much hope and possibility into me as it poured lament and sorrow. Uh, seeing, you know, the situation was, was sorrowful. It, mm-hmm. it, it hurt my heart. And I drove home. I, I don't know if I've told you this story. And I'm, it's going to make me tear up. I I got up very early the next morning and drove home and I was driving east, which means I was driving towards the sunset and I had left the city before the sun was up and 
as I drove across the flatness of the landscape, the sky started to turn purple. Mm. And I realized immediately that I was about to witness a sunrise that was not, that didn't feel basic to me. That didn't yeah. feel like a normal, like, oh, look, like there's there's a yellowish tint to the right. sky and the sun is coming up over the horizon. And I was able to watch over the course of a half an hour, the absolute beauty of a purple to pink to magenta to orange to yellow with clouds and horizon sunrise that turned every ounce of kind of lament that I was holding in my in my body into a recognition of what we had accomplished mm-hmm. and I don't say that to pat us on the back. I say that in, I needed that recognition mm-hmm. of the goodness to come of yeah. the hope and the possibility for what liberation looks like for all of us in the future. Mm-hmm. And that sunrise that morning gave me like, it poured so much into me that yeah. I didn't know I needed. And yet I got to watch it happen mm-hmm. less than 12 hours after we experienced what we did mm-hmm. um, with your mom. It was, it was good. It was good. I mean, you know, you, you shared that story about the sunrise and the sort of majesty of it. And we need those things because we are meaning making people. And we we need to be able to make meaning out of our lives and and for for us i think one of those things is this constant pursuit for collective liberation that that we do need hints of it and you know the meal that we shared for example you know knowing that whether my mom didn't have access to food or what, but she wasn't eating. Right. She was eating peanut butter and crackers. And, you know, she's 74 years old. You, you, I mean, I need more than peanut butter and crackers. Right. Everyone needs more than that to sustain them. Right. And, and for me, a little glimmer of hope was that she ate her meal. And that we shared a meal together. And and she smiled a lot. Yeah. I noticed that. I was sitting right across from her. And um, there was, I mean, the situation of getting her out of the home was, I mean, it was anxiety. Driven. I mean, we were yeah. stressful. We were, I mean, none of us were taking a lot of time to stop and, right. you know, laugh and, you know, share, uh, you know, sh- share love with one another. Right. Um, it, but she she smiled a lot mm-hmm. at dinner, um, and it 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 was it rec- it made me realize that um, there had there had been a lessening to her burden. Yeah, in a matter of yeah. hours, in a matter of yeah. hours, she had taken 
pounds and pounds and pounds of burden off of her shoulders um, and was able to share a meal and have a glass of wine and sit and, and eat with us and share stories. And we laughed and she smiled and yeah, yeah, it was, it was good. It was good. But that, I mean, those are the kind of moments we need if we're going to, continue in this work, right? I mean, I I think about when we were in Charlottesville and I don't feel like we got a glimmer of hope in right. Charlottesville. Right. Yeah. I we left carrying the same trauma. We left carrying the yeah. same trauma that we that that we met that was manifested in us throughout the time we were there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not that it has to be all good and smiles all the time. But I think in order for us to continue to do this work, we need the small glimpses of hope. And safety is an illusion. Uh, you know, hope, I don't have hope in this system, but I have. I do have hope in our collective work together to build another possible world. And I feel like that's what we did together. Yes. I agree. With strangers and with the police, like <laughs> together who, we were building another po- right. right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, these these officers were I mean, very kind, um mm-hmm. not discriminatory towards you. Right. Um and and we interacted with, you know, more than more than one, more than yeah. two. Um, on a, on a couple of different fronts and every one of them was, um, you know, professional in their work, but also had a kindness to them that was needed in those moments. Yeah. Um, and we aren't always in situations where our interactions with the police are that. Right. And so it was, it was nice to, it was heartening to, to experience it in that way. Something completely different than what we expected. Yeah. Well, friends, we um, thank you for sitting with us on this episode. I think that as Robin and I were talking about what we wanted to speak about today, sharing these kinds of stories are important Mm -hmm. for the work moving forward. And we recognize that, the sharing of story, even if it is our own, is what is going to allow us to dig deeper into relationality with one another and to really understand what collective liberation can and should look like as we become true community, not surface level community, but true community alongside people that are and are not at all like us. Right. So thank you for allowing us to share this. Robin, thank you for your um, willingness to share the story and to um, let our listeners have a glimpse into what activist theology really does look like in the world. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't think either of us expected for um, ourselves to be be the recipient of the kind of activist theology that we talk about every single week. And yet we walked away from that day 
knowing that that's really what it does look like. Yeah. So friends, please do stay with us. Um, We've got a lot to come this season. We're really excited to share with you. Do follow us at Activist Theology on all of the socials. Um, Be sure to join our app, which is getting ready to ramp up and become more robust. Um, Even as we, as we record this episode, you can do that at atporch.com. We also want to encourage you to go to activisttheology.com and look at a new class that um, Aaron Christian Law is offering for all of you. Um, The Unraveling Whiteness course is getting ready to start at the end of February, and there are still a few seats available in that course. It is ideal for white-bodied humans who want to really dig deeply into a somatic and practical way to dismantle and begin to unhinge yourself from white supremacy um, and the tenets of whiteness. Um, Aaron is leading that, and you can learn more about that course at activisttheology.com. I would encourage you to um, register and learn more about it if that's something you're interested in. Yeah, and I would say where we always talk about um, let's not just have talking points, but let's have embodied awareness. Correct. If that is where you are, if you're wanting to have an embodied awareness around anti-racism and composting supremacy culture, Unraveling Your Whiteness class is a class where you can develop that embodied awareness. And both Anna and I have gone through somatic work, so we have built up that embodied capacity and for both of us in the head triad on the Enneagram that was hard work Ooh. and <laughs> but but we've done it is there a word that's that's harder than hard right because <laughs> that's yeah. what it feels like to me <laughs> yeah it was challenging it was yeah but if that's you if you're looking for to have an embodied awareness then and you're white-bodied or white-passing, then this class is for you. And this is the third time Aaron is offering it. And I think there are two or three seats left in in the class. Um, So make sure you check that out. Thanks again for being with us this week, friends. We will see you next week at the Activist Theology Podcast. Until then, Dr. Robin. In the words of Desmond Tutu, let's become prisoners of hope. We want to thank you for listening this week. We encourage you to share this podcast with your community. If you enjoy us and our work in the world, please give us five stars on your podcast platform. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.com and click on podcast. We can only do this work with the help of you, our listeners. You have no idea how much even a small monthly or one-time gift means to this work. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by Delta Ray. Our sound editor is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. You are listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends.